Well, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Brian. I appreciate uh, you leading us this morning into God's presence. And I invite everyone uh, to turn with me, if you will, uh, to, uh, well, first to put a finger in Psalm 81. That'll be in our main passage this morning. But if you're able uh, first to turn to John chapter 7, I want to read two verses there. Uh, John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. And uh, our main passage will be uh, Psalm 81 this morning. Beloved saints, this is God's word through which he speaks to us and calls us to himself, with which he comforts us, corrects us, and encourages us. So let us give our attention to the reading of his word. John, 30, John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 81, our main passage this morning. Psalm 81. We're going to read the entire psalm together and meditate upon it for uh, the time to follow this morning. Again, this is God's word. To the choir master, according to the Getith of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre and the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress, you called and I delivered you. I answered you. In the secret place of thunder, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us uh, pray that the Lord would bless our time in his word. Let us go to him now. Oh, Father, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are your ways above our own and your thoughts above our thoughts and your words above our words. Our struggle is to hear and to receive, to trust and to believe and to submit. 
And so we ask this morning that you would clear away all the clutter in our minds, all the distractions around us, that you would meet with us in your word, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, that you would give us the grace to submit and to receive all that we hear, that we might follow you more today than yesterday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an old saying. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in it, and maybe that's why it's old. Maybe that's how sayings become old. They, they stick around and they last because we find truth in them. And I'm sure you've heard this one before. It goes something like this. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And the point is simple. You should listen twice as much as you speak. Uh, don't be so eager to be heard. Learn the skill of being quiet. Learn to listen. And there are many reasons that we need to do this. Uh, listening shows that we value others. Speaking all the time says that we only value what we have to say over what others have to say. Listening invites others to share and it values what others have to contribute. But there are other reasons as well. Someone once said, uh, it is better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and to remove all doubt. Uh, who said this has been debated. Was it Abraham Lincoln? Was it Mark Twain or Kafka? Who knows? Uh, whoever it was really was probably just stealing Proverbs 17, 28, which says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. But whatever the reason, we all need to speak less and listen more. Uh, but that's just half the battle because there's a difference between hearing and listening. Just because uh, sounds bounce off of our eardrums and are translated into electrical impulses and received and translated by the brain doesn't mean we are listening. Listening, truly hearing someone, includes much more. And that's what Psalm 81 is about. What does it mean to truly listen to God? Uh, this is important. In fact, it's so important that your eternity depends upon it. My hope as we open up this psalm for the few minutes ahead this morning would be to really drive home this one point. God's call to listen is a command to surrender your life and eternity to him and to place your life in his hands. His call to listen isn't just a call to hear words, but to surrender your life and your eternity into his hands. And that's really what we want uh, to see as we look ahead this morning. Uh, our psalm rehearses the history of Israel, starting with their crying out for help while they were enslaved in Egypt. And it's interesting, Pastor Brian and I did not coordinate Sunday school and the sermon, uh, but uh, here we are talking about Israel as they have come out of Egypt uh, at the waters of Meribah in, in, in uh, Exodus 17. Uh, we remember what happened before then. Israel had been enslaved in, in Egypt. The burden that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had laid upon them was great, as was their suffering. Uh, they were dying. And so they cried out to God. 
and he heard them. And he did something about it. He, he brought plagues upon Egypt, 10 plagues. He led Israel, the Bible says, by the hand out of slavery and out of Egypt. He relieved that heavy, heavy burden that they had been carrying. He was a father to them. They were his children. And he carried them under his protective wing. He brought them out of slavery, out of bondage, and into freedom. He brought them out of poverty into inheritance. And yet he didn't immediately bring them to the promised land. Between Egypt and the promised land, their new home, lay a vast wilderness. And in that wilderness was a mountain known as Sinai. And there at that mountain, God met with his people. He was, after all, their father. And what do dads do? I know today's Mother's Day, but we can talk about dads for a minute. Uh, what do dads do? Dads love family meetings, setting expectations. You all know it's true. And with, as with most dads, God's word started with, I want you to listen carefully. In fact, God's most famous instructions to his people are known by the single word, listen, or hear. In the Hebrew, that word is shema, a word that shows up in Psalm 81 four times. Here's what God said in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your might. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord, your God, that you shall fear. Him shall you serve. You shall not go after other gods. For the Lord, your God, in your midst is a jealous God. This is the great commandment. This is the statute that Psalm 81 is talking about in verse 4. Israel was not to forget what God had done now that they were safe. They were not to let the lessons that they had learned be lost. It's not enough to trust God for a minute when things are hard. Dependence upon God, trust in Him, is a lifestyle, not a one-time act. And the question was whether or not they had actually listened, truly heard God. And so God tested them at a place called Meribah. And what's interesting is that in Exodus 7, where this episode is recorded, it says that the people tested God. And we get this when, when kids get pushy, when they, they keep pressing their parents, parents say, you're testing me. <laughs> And you don't want to test me. And the kids, the Israelites, they were pushing. They had seen 10 plagues fall on Egypt. They had watched the Red Sea part before their eyes. They, they had watched the greatest army in the world defeated without a fight. And yet here they are getting a little thirsty in the wilderness and they're questioning whether or not God could actually satisfy their thirst. They, they claimed that God didn't have their best interests at heart. In fact, they accused God of wanting to kill them. 
And, and we have to ask, have they learned nothing? Have they not heard all that God has said? But that's exactly what God wanted to see. Our Psalm says that even while they were testing him, he was testing them. Was their cry of dependence that they had called out with in Egypt a lifestyle or was it a one-time cry for help? Had they truly heard all he had said or did it just simply go in one ear and, and out the other? Look at what God says in verse eight. If you would but listen to me. And he goes on to elaborate in verse nine. Place your confidence in no other gods. He's saying, trust me, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who promised to take care of you. Didn't you hear me? If you would just open your mouth, I, I'd fill it. And the question was, would they obey? Would they listen? That's what he was testing to see in the wilderness. And verse 11 has the answer for us. My people did not listen to my voice. Again, he's not saying that there, there was so much background noise that they just couldn't hear what he said. He means they did not submit. He says that in verse 11, that he explains what it means that they did not listen. They didn't take it to heart. They did not act on what they had heard. They heard, but did not listen. Now, it's easy to point fingers, but, but how good are we at listening? Oh, sound passes our, our eardrums all day long, and we register the meaning. And then, then how often do we forget? How many people in your life do you think of as good listeners? Probably not many. It, it's... It's not uncommon that when we, we talked about somebody being a really good listener, we, we say it in such a way that shows that it's not common. Because listening, really listening, is hard. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes humility. It takes putting others before yourself. And it may mean hearing something that you don't want to hear. And it means responding thoughtfully, appropriately, carefully. We all know what a child's last words are before he slams the door on his way out. Yeah, I heard you. But what does he mean? He means I heard the sounds, but he didn't listen. The words didn't penetrate his mind, didn't penetrate his heart. There's no real listening going on. There's only, there's only hearing sounds and rejecting them. And you can almost hear this kind of conversation at the waters of Meribah in Exodus 17. It's as if the people of Israel cry out, God, there's no water and we're going to die. To which God responds, didn't you hear me? Didn't I say I'll take care of you? Don't you trust me? Yeah, I heard you slam the people, turn a deaf ear to the God who brought them out of slavery. 
we know they weren't listening because of how they acted. Their, their hearts exposed their actions. They did not listen. And so how does God respond? Verse 12 goes on to talk about the point that God eventually came to, not right away, but eventually. He did what many parents are driven to do with their children. In many ways, the worst punishment a parent can ever inflict upon a child is what God did with his people there. He gave them exactly what they wanted. He stopped trying. He stopped warning. He stopped speaking. He simply turned them over to their own stubbornness. He let them follow their own counsel, their own hearts. We will often say, leave me alone and never consider what that would actually mean if God truly did. And so we often end up living in a prison of our own making. We, we protect ourselves. We refuse to be vulnerable, to let down our guard, to let others in. And then we wonder, why are we all alone? We get mad when anyone confronts us. And then we wonder why people don't come to us when there's a problem. Anytime someone disagrees with a decision we, that we make, we accuse that person of being unloving or unsupportive. And then our decision blows up in our face and we wonder, why didn't anyone warn me? Over the years, I've, I've counseled women whose husbands have been selfish, unfaithful, and abusive. And somewhere in the conversation eventually will come up the question, what did your dad think of him when you were dating? Nearly 100% of the time, the answer is, oh, he hated him. Let me be clear. No one deserves to be cheated on, taken for granted, or abused. All I'm saying is that much heartache could be avoided if we would learn to listen. Often the biggest problem that we have is our unwillingness to listen, at least to listen to wise counsel. We seek out counselors who are fools and then we wonder why things go badly. We seek comfort from the selfish and then we wonder why they betray us. We seek stability from the fleeting and then we wonder why it doesn't last. And we end up spinning our wheels, making no progress. And then what do we do? We shake our fist at God. And we say, God, how could you let this happen? And his response is, you told me to leave you alone. And I did. How many times is our problem simply the fact that we got what we wanted? The biggest threat to our future isn't our ignorance. It's our own unwillingness to listen, to listen and to submit, to take what God says and let it sink in and guide us. Before we move on and see the promises that God gives to those who listen, I want to pause and ask, where do we hear God's voice? Because if we can't find God's voice, we certainly can never listen to it and we can't submit to it. So where do we find God's voice? First and foremost, 
we hear God's voice in the Bible. This is why its authority must be attacked so often and so ferociously, because we want to silence God. The Bible comes with authority, and that's what threatens us. Because the Bible is always right, not just when we agree with it, not just when it seems right. Its counsel is always good 100% of the time. Our problem is our willingness to listen. The first place we hear God's voice is in the Bible. Second, we hear it in our conscience. Let's be honest. Our consciences usually warn us long before others do. Beloved, you are made in the image of God. His fingerprints are all over you. Why do you think people have so much invested in proving or defending or arguing for evolution? Why would they try to destroy the dignity of being human, of being created in the image of God, rather than simply being the consequence of chance and mutation? The answer is, it's because it's God's image precisely that's such a threat because it screams in their conscience, you're doing something wrong. You're listening to the wrong voices. You're being a fool. And they're trying to silence their conscience. Don't try to silence it. Listen. Listen. Finally, God's voice often comes in the form of a faithful friend. Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When King David lost his way and silenced his own conscience, it was a friend named Nathan who went to David and called him back to the truth. God will send people into your life to call you back to the truth. Will you be angry with them or will you thank them? At Meribah, it was Moses that God sent, and he pled with them not to rebel. And rather than listen, they accused him of all sorts of evil. They weren't listening to God's voice as it was on the lips of Moses. We need to be careful not to do the same. Now, as I said earlier, God did not immediately hand Israel over to their desires. He had mercy on them at Meribah, and he opened a rock and let life-giving waters pour forth. That's just who God is. He, he can draw water from a rock if that's what it takes to care for his people. But this water wasn't the end gift. Look at the last verse of our psalm, verse 16. God says that he would feed his people with the finest of flour and with honey from the rock. <laughs> Not water, honey. What's that all about? What he's saying is that the water at Meribah was just the beginning. Something far better was on its way. They were headed towards a land that God described as flowing with milk and honey. The water that they received out of that rock was just the beginning, just a foretaste of the provision that was coming the abundance of the land. God wouldn't just give them enough water to live on. He would bring them into a land that had milk and honey in abundance. He would lavish them with blessing, not just sustain them with the barest, uh, meager portions. 
for God's people, so long as we are in this world, there is always something better awaiting. And I don't just mean honey or milk, something far better than those. And so Jesus would pick up this imagery of, of Meribah in John chapter 7. At a great feast, he, he stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, have scriptures have said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, anyone who hears and listens and believes will be filled with living water with eternal life. Heaven will become their new home and their inheritance. Every gift that God gives us in this life, and there are many, all provision that he gives us in this life is but a foretaste of the blessings of heaven. Those who belong to God, those who, who hear him and believe, they possess all these blessings. Not just those who hear the truth of scripture as sound waves passing over their eardrums, but all who truly listen, who, who take that word in and receive it in their hearts and in their minds. And those who respond in faith, that is those who surrender control and place their lives, their eternities in God's capable hands. This is what the Bible means, that faith comes by hearing. <laughs> we hear God's truth. And when it doesn't just come in one ear and out the other, when it, when it penetrates our hearts and our minds and we believe, we have faith, we trust, we surrender, we submit. And that's eternal life. So, so let us count our ears and our mouths and see that our ears outnumber our mouths two to one. Let us learn to listen, to hear God, to receive his truth and to surrender to it and to submit to him. I think we run the danger of making the sound like it's more, like it's harder than it really is. Look at verse 10. I love this verse. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You get the image, right? The people are standing there uh, at Meribah and at the rock and God splits it open and, and water comes gushing out like a fire hydrant. And literally all they have to do is stand there and open their mouths. Uh, maybe you've seen that picture of the bear standing in the stream and there's a salmon jumping into it. And I, I often thought, I for a long time, thought it was probably just a doctored picture or whatever. And then last week, Ava and I watched Disney Nature's uh, Bears movie, uh, really good. And, and the, the camera crew follows the bears up into the Alaskan wilderness. And, and they follow them to the salmon rivers up in Alaska's mountains. And watched the bears do this all day long, over and over and over. Hundreds of times that day, the bears just standing in the river and the salmon jumping into their mouths. What an image. This is what God is saying. It is like to receive his blessing. 
It's not that he's promising a life without hardship. We will be tested like Israel. We will get thirsty. We will suffer loss. But we have to wrestle with the truth, the reality that often, so often, we're living in prisons of our own making. We're, we're simply refusing to open our mouths to the provision of God. And then we say, why am I so thirsty? We close our ears to his word. We follow our own foolish desires. And then we wonder why life is so hard. And God's saying, stop running. Stand still. Listen to my word. Surrender to the truth. Open your mouth and I will fill it. Beloved, life with God is, is always better than life without him. His ways are always, without exception, without failure, better than your ways. Even his rebukes are waters of life on a hot day. Now, I don't want to give the false impression that we are only to use our ears and never our mouths. God, yes, gave us two ears, but he did give us mouths. So what does he want us to use those for? Well, there's lots of things, but I, I want to focus on two that our, our passage would drive us to see today. The first is to sing praises. That's where our psalm opens. Verses one through three, sing praises to God. Praise him with joy and gladness. Part of our problem is that we use our mouths to praise ourselves and not God. And that will always lead to trouble. Let others praise your accomplishments and use your mouth to praise God's. And verse 3 says that we are especially to sing praises on the feast day. Israel had several feast days throughout the year. And part of the, the point of this was after harvest or things like that, to, to gather in all the abundance that God had given and to feast, to fill their bellies and to acknowledge and, and, and accept and, and, and uh, respond with thanksgiving and gratitude God's provision in their lives. And to remember that the provision they were even enjoying at that point in the promised land was but a promise of greater provision to come in heaven. And to be reminded that God's blessings weren't something they had to earn, something they had to accomplish, something that they had to, to get for themselves. All they had to do was open wide their mouths and God would bless and fill them. If we were gathered together this morning in person, we would be coming now to the Lord's table, a feast in itself, but a small feast, one that points ahead to greater provision and abundance. Like the waters of Meribah, the, the Lord's Supper anticipates a day when we will have more abundance than we could ever imagine. All of God's provision along the way in this life point us toward that final feast when God will welcome into us into his house, have us sit at his table where all his promises will be experienced in fullness and he will smile at us and say, I'm so glad you listened. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word and for your patience that we need when we fail to listen. 
We ask that you would help us to hear, to hear and to believe that you would let your truth consume us, transform us, and that it would make us more like Jesus. Father, we want to believe. Help our unbelief. And hasten that day when we will enter into your presence and we will see your provision in absolute abundant fullness. And we will enjoy you face to face. Until that time, we ask that you would bless us and keep us, that you would make your face to shine upon us and that you would be gracious to us, that you would lift up your countenance upon us and that you, O oh Lord, would grant us peace, we pray. In Jesus' perfect and matchless name, amen.